We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, this covenant that Jesus has come to give to his people. Uh, We've noticed that in this sermon, he began by talking about pictures of a blessed life and how we needed to live in a countercultural way, that the blessed people are the meek. The blessed people are the ones who are persecuted for righteousness sake. The blessed people are the poor in spirit. And so on and on, Jesus would go in really reversing the way the world thinks about who would be blessed. And then we saw with Jesus in his message that he is describing our purpose, that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is who you are. This is why you're here. This is your God-given purpose to accomplish while you're here on this earth. And now Jesus is going to describe his purpose. He's going to describe what he has come to do and what that means for us. You will notice in chapter 5 and in verse 17, Jesus begins by saying, I do not think that I have come to abolish the, the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is an interesting beginning point as uh, Jesus now describes what he's come to do. And it might be a little bit surprising to hear what he says that I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to abolish the the, the prophets. And, and one of the things that I think is important to keep in mind is that when, when Jesus comes to the earth, it is not his goal to run around telling everybody, hey, you don't have to do what God says because I've come. And that's one of the ideas of what's happening here is that Jesus is trying to make clear to them that it's not that I've come to abolish these things, but rather I have come to fulfill them. Now, I think this passage can be a challenge, especially for Christians and those who have grown up in the pews because you can go to later passages like the Apostle Paul and the writer of Hebrews that will talk about, wait a minute, I thought the law of Moses has been set aside. The Apostle Paul, it's been nailed to the cross. You have the writer of Hebrews talking about, you know, if the first covenant had been faultless, there'd been no need for a second. And there's all kinds of writings that, that the Apostle Paul and the writer of Hebrews gives about, well, hey, we're not under that first covenant that was the law of Moses given to Israel, but now we're under the law of Christ. So how can Jesus come along and say, I didn't come to abolish the law, but came to fulfill it when it sounds like all the apostles were around saying, we're now under that, but under the law of Christ instead. And how Jesus expresses this in verse 17, I think is helpful because you'll notice the way that he is describing what he's doing is that he's not saying, uh, I'm going to break all of the laws of Moses. You know, here I am and I'm running around and, and I'm breaking them all because that law is abolished and we're not, not under. That's not what he does. Nor does he walk around telling everybody else to break the law of Moses either and go, well, I'm here. So you all need to break that law. It doesn't matter anymore. Notice that the picture that he gives is that I've come to fulfill it. The thing that Jesus is giving for the reason is that. There is now this setting aside because it's all been accomplished. It's all been fulfilled. In fact, you will notice that in verse 18 where he says, rather than me coming along and saying, don't do the law of Moses. He says, everything 
even the crossing of T's and dotting of I's is all going to be accomplished. So Jesus is not walking around saying, hey, I've got a new law. Forget Moses. We're not doing that anymore. I got a whole new way and a whole new system. No, his point is because he is the fulfillment of every letter that was given by God from Genesis to Malachi. That's why it's no longer in effect. Because the law was all about him. And the prophets were all about him. And his arrival is the completion of it, the termination of it, the fulfillment of it. And so he can say, I'm not abolishing it. I'm not kicking it to the curb and saying, all right, everybody go your own way and forget what God says. But he's saying it came to its completion. It came to the end of the road. It served its purpose. It did exactly what it was supposed to do, and every word in it is fulfilled. Now, he doesn't quite say it here yet, but he could just go out here and go, and that's me. (laughs) I'm the fulfillment of all of it. It's all been completed. It's all been pointing to me. It's all been about him. And that's what I think is so important about what you see Jesus trying to communicate here as he describes this picture is that if every law is accomplished and every letter is accomplished and every prophecy is accomplished, it's done. It's like the end of a show. It's done. There's no more. You've come to the end of it. It's it's series done. And that's what Jesus is trying to accomplish. And that's why the apostles would walk around saying, It's in Christ that the law was fulfilled, that it terminates on him, that he is all of that, that that was the shadow and Christ is the substance. Is constantly trying to communicate to you, not that Jesus is a lawbreaker, not that Jesus is a rebel. He's doing everything the law says to show that it's all about him. And that would be the essence of what this is about. It is not that the New Testament stands in contrast to what Jesus is saying, but Jesus is explaining exactly how this is going to happen. Now, after putting forward his purpose, he's now going to describe our problem. You'll notice in verse 19, he says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, he sets forward the problem. Some of the translations will read like mine that says, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands, some will say set aside or break or something like like that. I think relaxing is the best idea about what this is getting at, because it's never that the scribes and the Pharisees went around telling people to break the law. That is never what they were doing. But what they were doing was relaxing those laws in particular ways. What they were doing was trying to lessen the demand of what the law actually said. And this is really, I think, why I've described this as ultimately our problem. And this issue that puts forward is that trying to get people to think about how they approach God's law and have the tendency to relax them rather than holding them to the standard by which God set them. 
And one of the reasons why I think it's interesting and important to observe this here is because it might seem a little unusual to you as Jesus has introduced this sermon to start talking about, now here's what the blessed life looks like, and here's your purpose, your salt and light, to now suddenly start talking about relaxing laws. Why are we suddenly shifting into this? Why not start talking about some of the other things that you're going to talk about in the sermon? Why, why immediately are we here? Except this really is the human problem. This really is the tendency that we have. And I think that is one of the things that it doesn't take long to consider is that we have this great problem to relax the laws of God. And I think this is important is because the reason why people think they keep God's laws is because they're relaxing them. <laughs> and that's if you get very far in this Sermon on the Mount, you'll notice that really the rest of chapter five is really all about that. How the leaders of that day were relaxing the high standards that God gave. We'll get to see it a lot over this next year as we get to spend our time in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, but anywhere you go, you will see Jesus talking like this where this problem is prevalent. A parable you might know fairly well, especially if you grew up in the pews, a parable called the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's in Luke chapter 10. And the setup of why Jesus tells that parable is all about the situation that's unfolding as Jesus tells this sermon. Remember, you have someone coming up to Jesus and asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer is very simple. What does the law say? That's Jesus' response. What does the law say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus goes, good answer. Do those and you will live. And then the next line is, and this teacher of the law wanting to justify himself asked the question, who is my neighbor? You see, when you are presented with the stark high standard of God's law, you immediately start wanting to dance around it and go, well, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, love the Lord my God with all of my heart and love my neighbor as myself. There must be some way to relax that. There must be some way to lower that so I can feel good about what I'm doing. I've got to justify, justify myself somehow. If, if, if entering the kingdom of heaven is, is loving your neighbor... All right, well, how am I going to get around that? Who is my neighbor then? Let me, let me try that angle. And that's the essence of what is happening is our great problem is that we have the temptation to lower God's standards so that we can feel better about where we stand before God. That's what we like to do. Here's what God says to do. Okay, I'm good with some of them, but the ones that I'm not doing very well at, I'll lower the standard. I'll relax the standard. That won't be as tough as it sounds. And that has happened for such a long time. Probably one of the most notable ones is, you know, Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
well, that can't be right. So we've got to figure out how to relax that. That can't, that can't be it. We've got to work around that one somehow. That's what happens. So maybe camels can get through needles. If we call needles, you know, holes and they crawled on their knees, which is absolutely historically inaccurate and nowhere found anywhere. But we've got to figure out some way to be rich and get in. So we will relax it somehow. That's the essence of the problem. Our temptation when we're confronted by God's law and it hits us in the face like that is to go, well, I got to lessen that. I got to relax that. And that, that can't be right. I've got to figure out some way to justify myself. And so we do that with all kinds of sins. We do that with sexual sins. I've got desires and needs. So clearly sexual morality can't be wrong, even though it plainly says it right here. I'll figure out a way to relax it. We relax divorce. You don't understand my spouse. They're so terrible. You don't know what I've gone through. They're horrible people. And, you know, that's why it's okay for me to divorce or uh, it's okay to have an affair because you don't know what I'm going through and you don't know what my life is like. So therefore it's okay. Husband's love your wives like like Christ loved the church. Well, it can't really mean that. I mean, that's pretty tough. I mean, that's really self-sacrificing and giving. And so I, I don't know. You don't know my wife. I can't do that. This is what we do is we start coming into God's laws and we go, okay, well, that can't be right since I'm not doing it. So therefore, let me relax it. Let me figure out some other way to get around it. We try to relax commands like have the attitude that Christ had and put the interest of others ahead of yourself. All right, well, let me figure out some disclaimers and caveats around that as to when are the times I don't have to do that. Or, you know, well, we got to take care of ourselves, right? We, we, this is what we do. We keep coming into God's law with this temptation to ultimately justify ourselves, to justify our lifestyle, to justify the way we're living, to make sure that we seem like we're okay before God. And what you are having Jesus doing right now is trying to set the bar back to where it belongs. And everybody ultimately does this. Every single human being. Unbelievers, they don't need Jesus. I'll justify myself. I've I've got my own way, my own path. I don't need that. Marginal Christians, I don't need to take up the cross and follow me. I won't let that be what it says. It must mean something else. And we do it ourselves. We come into various laws and we decide, well, I will uh, do this one, but not that one. And one of the things that Jesus is doing here in verse 18 and in verse 19, both together is trying to remind us there are not laws that God gave where you put them on a hierarchy and say, these are the ones you have to do and these are the ones that are okay to break. We like to do that. And if we're really honest... The ones that we have to do are the ones we're doing and the ones that are okay to break are the ones we're not. That's usually how we go with that. That's our list. And so we have the picture of the really bad ones and those are the ones I'm not doing. And these other ones that are not so bad, well, they're not so bad because that's what I am doing. And notice that Jesus puts the words in verse 19, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands, which one do you look at and go, well, that one's not so important. You just put it right back up there and said it's on equal level with all the rest of them. Don't relax any of them. You're not supposed to come to any of God's laws and say, well, that one's not really important. That one doesn't really matter. 
And I want you to notice that he really pushes that in verse 20 when he says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's important that if you understood in that day and time and in that culture that they would have listened to that and said that was impossible. The Pharisees were the pious. They were the select. They were the elite. They were a small circle. We sometimes think of me like to tons and tons of people. There was only a few of them. That's how, how small they were because they perceived that they were the only ones doing it right. Everybody held them in high regard. That's one of the reasons you'll read the Gospels. And when Jesus is criticizing them, the disciples will be like, well, if they're not in, who's in? If they're not going, there can't be anybody going. They didn't look at them and go, oh, yeah, they're really bad. They looked at them as the spiritual elite. And Jesus says, your righteousness has to be higher than theirs. And I want you to think about that. Because it's easy to go, oh, yeah. And Jesus is putting the standard up so high. Not that so we would look at it and go, oh, this is easy. But rather to understand the difficulty of keeping God's laws. In fact, I think one of the things that is particularly interesting to consider is that as much as they were pious and righteous, they were doing the same thing. They were committing the exact same error. And so when you think about it, what they would do is they were upholding the standard if they were keeping it. Remember how Jesus would talk about you tie these plants and the mint and you're, you know they're doing all those things and they could walk around and go we are tithing we are tithing like nobody's business we are making sure that every little thing that God has blessed us with we are tithing that completely and so they look like they're real righteous but then you might remember Jesus comes along and says but you forgot a few things Forgot things like mercy and justice. And so to them, lower the standard if you're not keeping it. One of them Jesus would get on them about. So he'd talk about how they were refusing to care for their parents because they had devoted their money to the temple. <laughs> so you can change the standard and lower it as long as we can figure out some way around it. And I want us to just get a sense of that there's not a single word that God ever gave that is to be taken lightly. There is not a single law that God ever gave that we are allowed to ignore. Not a single law that God gave that you can say it's okay if you skip that one. Or even to relax it in any way. To lessen the weight of what that law said. And we have a fine way of doing that. We have a fine way of trying to figure out how to justify our present lifestyle so that we can look good before God, think that we're keeping the laws when actually we're not. Now, in talking about the standard, let's let's take a step back for a moment and try to understand the standard, what Jesus made that standard to be and why that standard is so important. One of the things that is important about that, if you get to the end of this section, notice he's going to talk about, and we'll get to these, Lord willing, in the next few weeks. Um, he's going to talk about all these different areas where they had relaxed the law. 
But notice how he ends it in verse 48. Here's the standard as he concludes it. Chapter 5, verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. There you go. There's the standard. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The demand of God is absolute holiness. That's the standard. And we cannot relax that, come to that, try to lower it, lessen it, make it not so strong. Before Jesus gets anywhere into this sermon, I'm trying to give you the blessed life. I'm trying to show you your purpose. And I'm trying to show you your problem. You're relaxing the high standard of God. And here's the standard. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, here's one of the fun things that I like is people read that go, well, yeah, that word can also mean complete. Okay, here's that one. I want you to be complete just like God is. Did that make it any better? I don't think it did. I don't think that helped any. (laughs) God's complete. I'm not. Uh, He's perfect. I'm not. He's trying to get us to understand something about this high standard. Now, why does this need to be the standard? Why does Jesus go here right away? This is the real big deal about what we're talking about this morning. The reason the standard has to be this high, it has to be be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, is because that is the only way we will have the blessed life. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. You and I will never, ever be able to be poor in spirit Unless we understand the high standard of God's law. It is when we relax the law that I'm not poor in spirit anymore because I'm not doing too badly. I've got my list that I keep. I've got my list that I relax. I'm not that bad. Now, those people out there, they're really bad. But me, I'm not so bad because we lower the standard. We will never mourn over our sins and see how many sins we've committed unless we maintain the high standard and not relax the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I'm not going to mourn over sins if I'm doing it a comparison of, yeah, but you know, I mean, there's other people that are doing far worse than me. So I feel okay. I'm only going to mourn like God wants me to mourn when I see how far away from the law I am. Blessed are those who are meek. Well, I'm never going to be meek and humble until I come into the law with its full weight and force of here's the high standard and here's where I am way down here. 
and finally realize I've got no footing before God. And how I treat others is going to change when I see how completely deficient I am before God. And it's going to humble me to even understand that I could stand before him in the first place. And it's only when I hold that high standard am I going to begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness that God wants. Because otherwise I think, well, I'm pretty righteous. I'm doing this list over here, all right, so I'm pretty righteous. I don't need a whole lot of hungering and thirsting for it. Until you put the bar back up where it is. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now I realize I got a whole lot of hungering to do. I'm nowhere near that. I'm far, far from it. Or how about be merciful? That's what part of the blessed life. Blessed are those who are merciful. I'm going to be a whole lot more merciful to people when I see how terrible I am before the law of God and am desperately needing God's mercy. And only when I stand with that deficit and need the mercy of God will I turn and want to be merciful to other people. But if I'm not that bad and I'm doing a pretty good job, well, I only need a little bit of his mercy, so I'll only give you a little bit too. Or being pure in heart. Well, my heart's not that bad. I mean, look at all the things I'm doing. You see how all of the Beatitudes hang on the necessity of understanding the high standard of God's law. And as soon as you relax it, you won't become any of the things that God has called for us to be. Not going to be a peacemaker. Why would I endure persecution for righteousness sake? I don't need that much of God. I'm doing just fine. So much of this picture is trying to get us to understand how desperately we need God and how far we are from God's standard. And I think it is harder for those maybe who have grown up with their religious background because you feel like implicitly you're closer than you really are. And you have to hear these and go, wait a minute. Just because you've done a number of good things in your life and you haven't been, quote, as bad as whoever you're comparing yourself to. Does not mean that you are any closer (laughs) than anyone else, because the standard is to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And yet so often what we want to do is try to justify ourselves. So let me put it this way as we kind of wrap this idea up. Instead of relaxing God's laws, what we are supposed to do when we come to the law of God is be ruined by them. Rather than reading the laws and trying to dance around it and relax it and loophole it and jump around it and excuse it, you're supposed to walk into God's laws and be ruined by it. What would have been the better response for the teacher who has gone to Jesus and Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan And here is Jesus trying to get it across to him. You know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, do the law. You should have went, well, that's not going very well. I have a problem. I'm ruined by that truth. And then he simply turns around and says, okay, well, how about 
Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Just stop there. How are you doing with that standard? I want you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart to enter heaven. Are you in? And love your neighbor as yourself. How'd that go? And then Jesus twists the knife and go, who's your neighbor? Everybody. Everybody. In fact, he turns it so much that it, you're the name. You be the neighbor to others. <laughs> That's how that goes. What's he doing? Trying to get us to be ruined by the law. The point of God's laws to show us is that our only hope is to stop hoping in ourselves. Our only hope is to stop hoping in ourselves. That what God wants us to do is live under the severity and the gravity of God's law so that we will seek his grace every day. And seek his mercy every day to live under that weight. And unfortunately, we can have the tendency to be like the religious leaders and have a list in our mind of reasons why we can hope in ourselves. Well, I go to church every Sunday. We come up with rules to make ourselves feel better. Well, I go to church and I pray and I think my neighbor's worse than me. Uh, Took the Lord's Supper, been baptized. Ta-da! Heaven bound. Not even close. (laughs) Not even close. But we do that. We try to pick out things that are going to make us feel more comfortable. Didn't murder anybody today. High fives all around. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing great before God. I'm so close. We highlight the ones we're not doing. Ultimately, what we are going to see as we move through chapter five over the next few weeks is this really important truth. Jesus wants us to see us ourselves as spiritual failures. It's the only way you'll be poor in spirit. It's the only way you will mourn over your sins. The only way you'll be meek and humble and gentle. It's the only way you'll thirst for righteousness. It's the only way you'll be pure in heart. Is all of those things being given there. All of those things will only happen when we see ourselves as spiritual failures. Now here's the important part. What often can happen is that as we approach the law of God and we truly are honest with it and we see ourselves as spiritual failures, we go, well, I can't do this. That wasn't the point. Then we go the other direction and go, well, you know, here's a love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart. Well, I'm not doing that, so I might as well quit and go home. That's not what Jesus intended either. The point is not for you to go, I should quit. The point is so you will seek a savior. To stop depending on ourselves but to look to someone who would be able to fulfill all the law. Which is what Jesus said he did right here. I didn't come to abolish it. I came to do every single thing 
in it. I came to do and be everything you can't be so that you would look to me for your rescue. But if we lower the standard, we don't need a rescuer. When we relax the law, don't need so much of Jesus. And I submit to you, that's probably where we get mediocre Christianity. Is we look at Jesus and I need about four hours of him a week because I'm not doing so bad. I'm not wrecked by my sin. I don't see the high standard. I'm living okay. I mean, what do you want? I'm good and moral and I don't break all the bad sins. So what do you want? And that leads to lukewarm Christians. But it's only when you see how far from the standard we are that now you'll be cut to the heart. Now you'll be devastated by your sin. And now you will seek a savior every moment of the day because you know every moment of the day you aren't loving the Lord your God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself like you're supposed to. Or, verse 48, being perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. We can never, ever enjoy the blessed life if we keep thinking that we're not doing too badly. What a way to start a sermon. It's not what you would have thought. It's not what you would think he would do. But before you can get anywhere in listening to what he is going to tell you to do, to have the blessed life, to belong to him, to enjoy the kingdom and be his his children, you have to hear how woefully short of his law you are. You have to hear how badly we have missed the mark, that we are not even close If sin is missing the mark, our arrow didn't even hit the board. We are not close. So that we would seek a savior. So that we would look for a rescuer. Who could be the fulfilling of the law like Romans 8 also describes. Who would be that culmination so that there would be no condemnation on us who are in Christ Jesus, we would seek him with all of our heart. Friends, please come to the law of God when you read what he says and be ruined by it over and over and over again. Don't put your hope in yourself. Be ruined by how short you've come and then come to the Savior and find forgiveness. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, forgive us for how often we justify ourselves. Forgive us for how often we can look at your laws and your ways and think that we're just not doing that badly. Lord, I pray that you would always convict our hearts to help us to see where we are way off the mark. Help us to see when we have fallen short. God, forgive us for how often we have relaxed your laws. We so easily relax them on things that we want to do. God, please forgive us. 
Forgive us for how we have twisted your word, distorted your laws, made a mess of what you've said, all to try to justify ourselves. Please forgive us. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that are just wrecked and ruined every time that we come to your word. Help us to see how woefully short we fall of your glory and your goodness. Help us to see how much we need you when we look to your word. And God, thank you for sending us a savior to rescue us. Thank you for not leaving us to our own devices because with our own actions, we cannot get there. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his sacrifice. And thank you that through him we can find forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to sing an invitation song, and we invite you to come to the standard and see God's law in that light. And when you come to that standard, I hope it immediately presses your heart to need Jesus, to see that he came to do what you couldn't do, to rescue you from the things you could not do so that you could be a child of his. Can we help you this morning in any way to do that, to turn away from your sins, to make the devotional decision today to follow him with all of your heart? If you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, to make that beginning point this very day, to walk with him faithfully. We want you to do that. We can help you do that. Let us know or come forward while we stand and while we sing.